Well, good morning. Let me first of all take, take my position to do an extra notice and, rem- and remind you that in the second Wednesday in January, I think that's the 9th of January, the, the discipleship course will start again for, for 2019. Three lots of 10 weeks, a, a long term time. But you don't have to sign up for all 30 weeks, you can just sign up for 10 weeks. The first 10 weeks are going to be about fundamentals of how to live you know, a supernatural Christian life, the, the basic stuff. Next 10 weeks in the, the summer term, we'll be looking a bit more at stuff that's a bit more in depth. And the final 10 weeks in the winter term are looking at what I refer to as hot potatoes. Things like, you know, other religions, sexuality, heaven and hell, second coming, all that kind of stuff we'll look at in the, the, the third the third lot. So if you're interested in coming along to the discipleship course, please grab me afterwards so I can uh, jot down some names. We'd like to get around about 10 or 15 so we can have lots of discussions. So Wednesday nights at half seven, but grab me afterwards and I can tell you more about it. So put that to one side. We're on to today's uh, topic. If you're here visiting, we've been looking at parables for the last five or six weeks. In fact, longer than that, probably seven or eight weeks, we've been looking at parables. And we're looking at more of the unusual parables, parables that are not normally covered because they're a bit more complicated or difficult to understand or maybe more difficult to, to, uh, to carry out. And so obviously today we've heard the, the parable of the, the great feast or the, the great banquet. And we, we, we get this parable and we see, and I put it in the, the notice sheet, we hear about all these excuses. And it, it made me start to think about excuses that, that people give for a whole lot of different situations. I came across this wonderful excuse that people use when they can't do their homework. So, any children left in here? I don't have my homework, Miss Flynn. My parents forgot to do it. Yeah, I'm sure, David, you'll have heard that one probably. No, because all your children do their own homework. Yeah, that's right. Like all my children did as well. Uh, yeah. I came across another uh, uh, quite funny excuse for not turning up to work on a Monday morning, which I thought you might want to jot down. Uh, it says this, I forgot to carry in the Sunday paper, left it on the doorstep. So when I saw the paper there, I thought it was Sunday. By the time I realised it was Monday, it was too late, so I just stayed at home and went back to bed. Uh, which is an interesting way of trying to get off work on a, on a Monday, isn't it? But we all use excuses in life, you know, and most of them are as bad as the two that I've just referred to. And in this story, we see excuses. So let's just do the, the setting. So the setting of this story is Jesus has been having a meal, having a, 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 a lovely meal in the house of some Pharisees. So Pharisees, if you're not aware, uh, are like the uh, very knowledgeable and uh, very uh, intelligent people normally who studied the law, knew the law, and taught the law to, to, to the Jews. And uh, they didn't like Jesus. And you get the kind of impression that Jesus wasn't too fond of them either. Uh, and he's having a meal with these Pharisees. And they, they're talking about different things. And obviously the kingdom of God crops up. And this one guy says, oh, won't it be great, he says in verse 15, when we're reclining you know, and having a meal in God's kingdom. And this obviously bugged Jesus. And imagine he looked at him and thought, God. You get on my nerves. I think Jesus, especially in this parable, was feeling a little bit bugged with these Pharisees. So he tells this parable. 
And he tells this parable in front of the Pharisees. And really, when you read the parable, really, he was just getting his finger and sticking it into their eyes. He was really, really upsetting and provoking these Pharisees because of their attitudes. So he he tells this story. And he tells a story about a, a wealthy man who was having this wonderful meal. And he sent out invitations. And back in these days, when you're having great meals or great wedding feasts or banquets, what you would do is you would send out a first invitation months in advance. And then just before the actual feast was going to take place, you would send out a reminder invitation. But people would respond to the first invitation. They would say, yeah, I'm up for that. I'm coming. Book me in. So all the plans will have been made. Then out of courtesy, a second invitation would go out to remind you this great event was taking place whenever it was in the next couple of days. You know, as I thought about that, I thought that's actually crept into the 21st century uh, social elite. The, 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 they're not here. They're not here, so I can say whatever I want. I got this invitation uh, from Andy and Libby last year. It was a keep the day invitation. It came out way before the, the wedding invitation came out. I got this invitation saying, we're going to be sending you an invitation later on, but just, you know, this is the date of the wedding. Keep it free. And then months later on, I then got the wedding invitation. It's a bit like that. I mean, in these days, you got a double invitation. And that was the situation in this story. And the servants went out to remind the people about the invitation. And then they said, no, I'm sorry, we're not coming. And we're not coming to this great banquet. Now, this story would have been hitting really hard on the people hearing it. These Pharisees were listening to it. Because the Old Testament tells us about the great banquet for those who are invited. It tells us that in Isaiah. And the, and the Jews believed that the, the, the patriarchs would be the honoured guests. And all the Jews would spend their time relaxing and enjoying life in the kingdom of God in this great banquet. And then Jesus says to them, No, the invitation went out in this parable. And they said, no, we're not coming. So he then sends out uh, his servants to go and invite other people. Once again, that would really annoy the Pharisees if they were thinking the invitation to this great banquet was going out beyond them. So in this story, there's an obvious set of analogies that's been set up. We've got the master the person hosting the feast is God. You've then got the first set of of invitees, the initial people invited, and that was the Jewish nation. The Pharisees sat comfortably thinking, that's us, mate. And then you've got the the other invitees, what I refer to as like the waifs and strays, those who weren't initially invited. And Jesus is saying, now the invitation to be part of this kingdom, to be part of this feast, to be part of this you know, celebration in the presence of God is open to all. It's open to everybody. So the other invitees represent the whole world. And then you have the servants, the master servants. Well, if you were here last week, you'll, you'll know that, that we are the master servants. The master servants who go out and take the news are the church now, are Christians, those doing the master's business. And that's the kind of a setup you've got in this parable. Jesus really wants to provoke these Pharisees. So he then gives 
an example of three different excuses. Three different, well, I was going to say reasons, but they're not reasons, they're excuses. But he makes the excuses stupid. He makes them ridiculous. He makes them so that any sensible, sane person would never say this. Because the first excuse he says, is it says that he went to this one person, had just bought some land, and he has to go and look at it. So he can't come. Well, you know, anybody else hearing that story would have burst out laughing. Because who goes and buys a piece of land without looking at it first? Uh, have you ever watched Bargain Hunt? In a, in a, you know, in a morning? I see Martin, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Rob. Yeah, yeah, at Bargain Hunt, they always tell you, you've got to look at the property before you bid at the auction. And you must read the legal pack. All you that work full time will not be able to relate to me, but I'm sure most of you can. You know, you don't buy something without seeing it. And to be honest, even if this guest had bought it without seeing it, they could have just looked at it the following day or, you know, the following week. They'd already made the mistake. They'd already bought it unseen. So what difference did it make? It was just a stupid excuse. And the second excuse was just as bad. The second excuse was uh, that this person had bought five yoke of oxen, you know, five lots of two oxen. You bought oxen in two, and they would, they would pull, you know, to help you do all your ploughing. Obviously, I'm very technical when it comes to my farming phraseology. You know, but I know you bought uh, oxen as your yoke of oxen was two, but you would never buy oxen without checking them out first. You want to make sure they worked as a team, that they pulled together. They didn't fight against each other. So you'd never buy a yoke of oxen without going and see it first. It's like buying a car without checking it out. You don't, you don't do it, hopefully. Uh, it's the same with oxen. And in this example, he blows it up, Jesus. He doesn't make it two oxen. He makes it five sets of oxen. One set of oxen would look after a normal-sized farm. Five set of oxen. This is, a, this is an estate. This is a really wealthy person who's doing something really stupid. You know, and once again... Even if they had bought the five set of oxen unseen, it's too late. You've bought it. So you could wait another couple of days anyway till after the, the, the banquet. You know, it didn't make any difference. Just plain stupidity. You can imagine that the Pharisees are not getting too impressed with the examples that Jesus is giving of idiotic behavior, stupid excuses for not being part of the banquet. And the final example he gives is somebody who's just got married and doesn't want to come to the wedding. Sorry, doesn't want to come to the feast. But once again, anybody who's got married will know, you you know, the vast majority of people don't get married on a whim. You know, you plan it in advance. When the first invitation came out, you know, this this person would have known that they were going to be getting married around about this time. They had plenty of time to plan and think and send their apologies at the appropriate time, not just do it at the last minute. And to be honest, seeing as they were married, you know, they could have brought their wife, they could have just said, well, you know, I'm going to go to this feast without you. You know, it wasn't the end of the world. Just once again, a stupid excuse. And although, to be honest, we can laugh and, and say, God, these idiots making these pathetic excuses why they didn't want to come to be part of the feast. In the 21st century, us and potentially and probably our friends make very similar excuses all the time. We don't spend as much time in God's presence as perhaps we should or could because we're too busy with our business, aren't we? 
you know, we've got the, the, the ten yoke, you know, the ten ox that we're trying to look after. We're trying to build our empire and therefore make a decision to focus on the empire and not focus on God and being in God's presence. Or we say it's family first. I'm just married. I need to look after my family. I've got family. You know, my family comes before God. And you'll probably be able to relate to that at some level. Just like these people could, you know, could understand what Jesus was saying. And so in this story, you know, it finishes off with, with, with uh, the master saying to his servants, just go and tell everybody. Tell everybody about this party, about this banquet, about this feast, and bring them in. I'll accept anybody. And my banquet will be full. And that's what we get at the end of the story. You know, the banquet is full, the doors are open, and people can choose to come in. Now, that would really have cheesed off the Pharisees because, you know, they believe there's a whole lot of strict rules that you had to fulfill. And Jesus is saying that anybody can come in. Oh, and by the way, you know, you guys won't be there. He says that in the very last line. You know, he wasn't there to make friends. He was there to push a point. I just wondered, you know, as, we, as we, you read that story, I heard that story, you know, who it is that you relate to the most in the story? I kind of saw five different groups of people in that story. And I wonder if you can relate to any of them, or maybe two or three of them in, in different ways. The first uh, group, or the first person that, that, that I thought of in this story was the master, was God. You know, in this story, God has to deal with rejection. He gets rejected by those people that he invited. He had prepared the banquet. He put in the work. He had sacrificed. He had generously invited these people to the banquet. And they said, shove off. I don't want you. I don't know about you, but, you know, this morning, you know, there may be some people here that are feeling, for whatever reason, feeling rejected feeling down, unwanted, unloved. And that the great news is from this story is we haven't just got a God who can sympathize with us. We've got a God that can empathize with us. Jesus said in John chapter 15, you know, if the world hates you, it hated me first. We don't have a God who's not able to relate to our circumstances. If life is tough for whatever reason, we have a God who is there for us because he knows what, we've, what we're going through. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, cast all your anxieties, all your concerns, all your worries onto Jesus because he cares for you. That's what we understand Christianity to be. It's a, it's a faith where we have a relationship with our Saviour a relationship with God. There's no distance required. You know, he is there and we can relate to him and he can relate to us and our concerns can be put on his back because he cares for us. So maybe it's God in that way that you're relating to this morning. You're feeling a bit hard done by, a bit unloved. Or maybe not. Maybe the people that, that you relate to this morning is the initial invitees the people that were invited but who choose to say no. You know, God is a God who allows us as individuals to make our own choices. He doesn't force anybody 
into anything. He doesn't force you to come into a relationship with him. He doesn't force you to, to, uh, to choose God. He puts out an invitation and says, I want to live my life with you and your life with me. And I give you an open invitation. But we have to choose yes. And this morning you may be here coming to church. You may have been a few times, it may be your first time. And for whatever reason, you haven't said yes. Maybe you responded to the first invitation and said, I'm interested in this God. I'm interested in coming to this banquet. But you've never ever responded to the second invitation. You've never said, God, I'm in. I want to share my life with you. Well, that, that invitation, thankfully for you, is still available. Each of us here have an opportunity to say, yeah, God, I want to live my life with you. I want to be part of that feast, part of that kingdom. I want to be in relationship with you. Well, this morning, if right now you're relating to that, uh, that first group of invitees, you have an opportunity to do something about that. But perhaps, you know, you relate more to the, the uh, third group. That, that third group, that I, I called it in my note, the waifs and the strays. Uh, I went a bit posher on the, on the PowerPoint, so I just called it the other guests. You know, you know the, the, we're told in the parable, he went out into the highways and the byways, the streets and the lanes, and he pulled in the lame and the poor, and they became part of God's kingdom. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a meeting, and I had this picture. I had this picture of the, the shore uh, of Southport, and, the, and the, the tide was coming in. It was definitely Southport, but the tide was coming in. Uh, and as it, it brought in a whole lot of rubbish and left it on the shore, you know, bits of wood and bits of plastic and bits and bobs, everything, you know, just all washed up in the, in the shore. But then along came this wonderful artist, and put it all together and made something beautiful. And as I reflected on that, I thought, you know, we can see ourselves sometimes as washed up. I hope you don't. I hope you don't. But we can see ourselves sometimes as washed up, washed up on the shore. But under the hands of Jesus, you know, he can make us into something wonderful. And when we do accept that invitation, there's another parable uh, about a great banquet that Jesus tells. And when the guests come in, they're clothed in glorious garments of white. And when we accept that invitation, we're no longer what we were. We are prince and princesses, sons and daughters, heirs and co-heirs, part of God's family. That's what you are when we accept that invitation. And that is life-transforming. Jesus says that, you know, that you're the salt and light of the world now. You're his ambassador. When you accept that invitation, he says, my plan for you is that you represent me. That's how he sees us. He doesn't say we're not fit for it. He doesn't say you're washed up. He says, no, I want you to be my ambassador. I want you to represent my kingdom. That's our position. Because with the touch of God in our lives... We are fit for purpose, which is fantastically exciting. Hopefully, though, hopefully, a decent bunch of us see ourselves in the fourth category. And the fourth category are the servants. The servants are the people that go out and do what God says. The servants are the people that Andrew talked about a fortnight ago. 
broadcasting the message. And that's what they're doing. In this parable, they hear from God and they go out and they broadcast the message. The servants are the people that Steve talked about last week. They are servants of God, always willing to serve, no retirement, in there for a long term. And in this story, the servants can get a bit overlooked. But the servants are crucial for the story. And as I reflected on these servants, a couple of things came to my mind that I'd never really thought about in this parable before. And the first thing is, is that these servants move from the presence of God out into service. Now, I know you in one way you can say, well, we're always in the presence of God. But the presence of God, for me, is the place where you soak, where you recharge. It's what Jesus did early in the morning. He went out early in the morning, it was still dark, and he spent time with just him and God, worshipping, praying, refueling. It's where you get energised to do your service. And these servants were in the presence of God, they heard from God, and then they went out. And they broadcast. And then they came back to the presence of God. And they heard from God again. And then they went out. And they broadcast. And for me, looking at this, what challenged me was, I need to spend time in the presence of God if I'm going to serve. I can't just serve. I need to be fueled to serve. I need to dwell in the house of the Lord Dwell in the presence of God. I was reading from Exodus 33 last night, and it was Moses uh, in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years with the children of Israel. And in Exodus 33, he's chatting to God on the mountain, and God gives him the offer to go into the, the promised land with an angel leading the way, but without God's presence. You can have the promised land, but I won't walk there with you. And Moses said, No, God. I want your presence. It's your presence I want. If you remember the rest of the story, there's God walks past and all that kind of stuff. But Moses holds out for the presence of God. And he does that a lot. There's other occasions with him and Joshua where, where God speaks to them. And Joshua heads back to speak to the, to the, the rest of Israel. And Moses said, I'll just stay here, Joshua. I'll just stay in God's presence, thank you very much. He understood the presence of God. And on these servants as well, even though they dwelt time in the presence of God, even though they heard from God, when they went out, it didn't automatically mean success. They heard from God, they went out and preached God's message, and people said no. Is that allowed? You're allowed to hear from God, know what you've got is from God, and go out and tell people, and they still say no. That's not God's will. No, it's not God's will. God's will always, nearly often, always gets stuffed up. You know, people don't respond to God's will. God's will is that everybody's part of his kingdom, that all are saved and none perish. So don't get despondent. When as servants, we are out there doing God's will, listening to God and broadcasting don't get despondent if we don't get the results that we expect. Our job is to broadcast. That's our job. The final people, the final group that I want to just draw your attention to. It's not really uh, in the parable, but it's the Pharisees. It's the group that, that Jesus was, was talking to. 
really having a go at, having a massive dig at. And the Pharisees get a tough press. And, you know, they probably deserve it. The Pharisees were, were, were pious people, that they were proud people, they were judgmental people. But when I looked at these Pharisees, you know, they weren't doing it right. They were wrong. They'd got the wrong attitude. They, 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 they were just, just hadn't quite grasped the way it should be. But it's easy for us to slip into that mentality, to slip into that attitude. Uh, there's a, not a massive difference between having a pious atti- attitude and having a desire for purity. There's not a big difference. There's not a big difference between being you know, proud and being self-assured. There's not a big difference. There's not a big difference between being judgmental and trying to live a life of integrity and telling others. It's about attitude. There's not a big difference. And I want to encourage us to reflect on our attitudes, to make sure that our attitudes are lined up and our attitudes are not skewered like the Pharisees. When I was thinking about this, for some reason, what came to my mind was white chocolate, obviously. You know, why, why wouldn't it come to mind in this context? You know, I don't know if you know, you know, white chocolate is not chocolate. White chocolate contains 0% chocolate. It's a fraud. Do you not know that, Jenny? No, it's a fraud. It is not chocolate. It pretends to be chocolate. It looks like chocolate. It's a bit appealing like chocolate, but it isn't chocolate. It's a con. Real chocolate, you know, that real dark chocolate where you can buy and it costs you a fortune because it contains lots of chocolate, you know, the 70%, the 80% chocolate, has a little bit of a bite to it. Gives you a little bit of a kick. That's because it's got something in it. It's got chocolate in it. It doesn't pretend to be chocolate. It is chocolate. And as I was thinking about this sermon, you know, it was, listen, you can blame God. It was God who was telling to, this to Simon. He woke me up and gave me all this stuff one night. You know, we can often pretend to be Christians because white chocolate is what you give to kids to get them started on chocolate. Great idea, isn't it? Great idea. It's palatable. Easier to consume. Now, people don't get offended by it. And we can do that with Christianity. We can offer the white chocolate front, the fakeness of Christianity. Or we can offer real Christianity. And what makes Christians Christians as opposed to good people, as opposed to being church goers, as opposed to people that believe in God, is that Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit inside us, filled in us and sealing us. And we say that Jesus is Lord. And that stands us out. And I was kind of thinking, you know, when we are talking about things, we can't give people white chocolate. We have to give them real chocolate. We have to give them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be offensive sometimes. It causes a reaction. It stands out. It's not quite as palatable. Not that we aim to upset people or aim to be offensive. But we need to have the Holy Spirit leaking out from us. We need to stand out. We need to be different. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, come to Jesus and be exactly the same as you were before. Just your Sunday mornings are taken up now. You know, 
that's just not the real, that's not the real deal. It's not the real offer. So these Pharisees, their attitude had, had just gone off. They'd got so much into a rut that they'd missed the real picture. So this morning, I just want to just challenge you to just reflect on, on where you're at with regards to you know, these five different you know, uh, groups. And if you want to find out more about walking in the Spirit, is there anything that's on soon about... Possibly tonight, you know, we're going to be looking at walking in the Spirit, what it means to live your Christian life, walking in the Spirit tonight, vital stuff. But this morning, you know, who do you relate to? And I just pray and hope that as you, you know, dwell over these five different groups, and as you start relating to, to any of them, that you, you come before God with that information. I'm going to ask the band to, to come back up and we're going to go into a time of worship and the prayer team are going to be across on this side. You'll see the prayer team. You'll know who they are because they're walking that way now to receive you in prayer. And if this morning, you know, you're feeling as somebody who's, who's been judged, somebody who's been hurt, and you want to just have prayer about that, knowing that God is there for you, please go across and receive prayer for that. If you're somebody this morning who hasn't taken up that second invitation, if you've never ever said yes to God, I want to be part of your kingdom, please take the opportunity now to draw a line in the sand and take that opportunity to say, yes, I want to accept your invitation. I want to be part of your great feast. Or if you're somebody who has done that, and you're somebody who doesn't dwell in the presence of God, and therefore you're not fully there, ready to serve, and you want prayer about that, please come for prayer about that. If there's anything that's on your mind this morning that you want praying for, please take this opportunity to engage with God, to, to have contact with the supernatural God who's there for us all. Thank you.